Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I think that the mixture of the darkness and the light is part of her mystique and part of her allure. Because although she's giving you pleasure, you also want to be her friend or you also want to protect her. And that comes from the different kind of sparks she was giving out. Hello and welcome to the third part of The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'm Jackie Moran. In this chapter, we're going to examine how Marilyn finally escaped the life of poverty, abuse, and abandonment she was born into, and how she wasn't averse to using whatever weapons were in her formidable armory to help achieve her dream of making it big in Tinseltown with spectacular effect. How do people in show business look? They don't. I mean, a girl can walk around backstage with nothing on except her goodwill, and nobody will even turn his head. The same girl, fully dressed, walks down an aisle of clerks in an office, pinched black and blue. What's the matter with you people anyway? In late 1944, the 18-year-old Marilyn, or Norma Jean Doherty, as she was still then, had been discovered by photographer David Conover while working at a factory when he came to shoot morale-boosting pictures to help the war effort. The effect was instant and astonishing. Charles Casillo, entertainment journalist and author of Marilyn Monroe, The Private Life of a Public Icon, explains. It was like the camera loved her. And something came across that wasn't coming across in other models that he was shooting. And he said to her, you can be a professional model. And of course, someone who wanted to be known as beautiful and wanted to be desired, that might be her ticket. So she pursued it and he helped her. He introduced her to people and she got with a modeling agency. It was called the Blue Book Modeling Agency. Norma Jean signed up as a model. But at first, the blonde bombshell that we know today was marketed as someone rather different. Evelyn Snively, owner of the agency, remembers Marilyn as that girl next door. She was a clean, shining, pleasant, expressive-faced little girl. We said the girl next door type. And she was wearing a little white dress. You wouldn't necessarily wear this on a photographic job. And it was as clean and white and ironed and shining as she was. But she had a great deal of expression, and she was very surprised, I believe, to be in the Ambassador Hotel where my office was. She looked at the board of covered girls and said, oh, those girls are so pretty. But I thought what a wonderful little doll she would be on a cover someday. 
In front of the camera lens, Norma Jean, the one-time withdrawn, troubled foster child and teen bride, was blossoming. And as she grew in confidence as a model, so the more her thoughts reached beyond simply pictures in magazines. Here's Stanforth Prince, publisher of Marilyn at Rainbow's End, Sex, Lies, Murder, and the Great Cover-Up. It's almost a magic, a kind of charisma that she had. Nobody could quite figure it out. And suddenly this magic, no one ever quite knew what it was. Call it a psychotic side to a desperate personality, if you like. Call it a schizophrenic, manic-depressive manifestation of glamour. Nobody has ever been able to define it, but they all agree that she was a magic woman with a magic charisma. She started appearing on covers, and people like Howard Hughes were noticing her. So that it eventually became obvious that she needed to at least check out the possibility of being a movie star because she was getting such great impact from her work as a model and and being on the cover of so many magazines. At first, however, it seemed Hollywood was blind to Marilyn's particular brand of magic. Here's Lois Banner. Marilyn's career got off to a bumpy start. She had a short contract at 20th Century Fox and she had a couple walk-on roles, which would be, you know, one line and that would be it. And she was dropped from her contract. She wasn't, she she just wasn't catching on for some reason. And then she got a six-month contract at Columbia Pictures. And that is where she makes her first starring appearance. It's a B movie called Ladies of the Chorus. And she plays a showgirl in that. It's kind of a silly movie, and her contract at Columbia isn't renewed either. I want to be an artist, an actress, with integrity. Women roles are that I'll play other kinds of parts. My teacher, Lee Strasberg, has always said to me, you know, I said, I said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm a little nervous. He says, when you're not, give up. She really didn't do many movies in this early period, in fact, hardly any at all, and she was fired after six months. Daryl Zanuck, who ran Fox like a dictator, simply didn't like her, and he could do anything he wanted. And then she was picked up by Columbia Pictures for a while, and then eventually worked a little bit for Metro Golden Mare. She had the distinction of being fired by all of Hollywood's top studios before she finally got back to Fox. Hollywood at that time was not the place it is today. For a pretty girl desperate for a big break, there was another means of getting noticed by the men who mattered. Well, I think that Marilyn had always been so willing to head for a casting couch to get a part, and also very promiscuous and very willing to sleep with people to be with Hollywood producers and and power people in Hollywood. That's very, very well documented in many, many biographies of Marilyn Monroe. In the days before feminism and many decades before Me Too, the movie industry was mostly run by men. You know, there was very few female executives or casting agents. So it was a male-dominated industry, and with that kind of power, corruption comes in. And so a lot of the young, struggling starlets who would do anything to have a break would fall victim to the casting couch. I think it was Claudette Colbert, the actress from the 40s, who said... Every actress who made it as a star at one time or another had to go through the casting couch system. 
It seems almost unthinkable now, but back in the 1940s and 50s, the top studio bosses would treat these wannabe starlets as little more than attractive playthings, there to do whatever pleased them and hand it around like so many pieces of meat. Here's Gianni Russo. He was in the film The Godfather and was also a friend of Marilyn's. So it's like, obviously, that's how I think she thought she had to become a star, was please all these guys. They took advantage of this girl. But so many Hollywood stars, if it was in the Me Too movement, like it is here now, every, every big producer, the Zanuck brothers, all of them, they all be, be gone. But that's what it was those days, the, the casting couch. She passed around a lot, which was wrong. What happened with Marilyn is they used to have, these men, these executives used to have parties, like poker parties and drinking parties, you know, the cigars and the cards, and they would have... They were called party girls. The starlets from the studio would come to these parties and they would fill up the glasses and empty the ashtrays and just stand on the sidelines and be ornamental to the party. And when an executive saw one that he liked, he would promise her the moon, promise her a contract, promise her a screen test. And that might be their ticket. More often than not, it wasn't. Marilyn may have been willing to play the game in order to get noticed by the right men. But even then, she was nobody's fool. And although she was not averse to using her beauty and sex appeal to her advantage, as she had as a teenager when she saw modeling as a way to get out of her lonely childhood and hasty marriage, she was also prepared to draw the line when she had to. There's one distinction between Marilyn Monroe and the ambitious starlet of the day. If she didn't genuinely like the guy, she didn't go with him. There were men that made passes at her or promised her things that she just didn't like. One of these men was Harry Cohn, the legendary and notoriously lecherous head of Columbia Pictures. Cohn made a pass at her and promised her a lot of uh, favors. And she was in his office and he said, I'd like to invite you out on my yacht for this weekend. And Marilyn, she didn't see that he was a good person. She saw that he was, well, I'll just use the word because it comes to mind. She saw that he was sleazy. And she said, oh, I would love to come on your yacht, Mr. Cohn, and I'm so looking forward to meeting your wife. And he was furious because, of course, his wife wasn't invited for the weekend. He's one of the executives that dropped her from, from the studio because she wouldn't put out for him. Norma Jean may have been struggling to find any traction in Hollywood, but so determined was she to make it in the movies, she cut off all ties to her past. She divorced Doherty, who had always been against her having a career, and soon after receiving her first contract with Paramount, changed her name. Norma Jean Doherty was no more. Marilyn Monroe had been born. The name Marilyn comes from the 20th century Fox executive named Ben Lyon. He liked the name Marilyn because in his younger days, when he was an actor, he had dated a woman named Marilyn Miller, who was an actress. So Marilyn was the first name, and Marilyn herself chose the last name Monroe because that was her mother Gladys's maiden name. She had never used the name Monroe in her real life, so I think this was her way of connecting with her biological family. In this long-lost interview, James Doherty, the man she had been married to just weeks after her 16th birthday, remembers the moment he lost his wife to Hollywood. Well, here's Norma Jean with my wife. I loved her. And here's a movie star, Marilyn Monroe. The two never met, as far as I was concerned. When Marilyn Monroe became Marilyn Monroe and there was no more Norma Jean, then that part of my life was gone. I could have never been Mr. Monroe, believe me. No way. 
I, I did my best to change her mind. She said, no, I didn't even want her in that business. I want to come home, zip, I'd be the breadwinner and go from there. Although Marilyn's career to this point had been limited to bit parts, as a non-speaking waitress in 1947's Dangerous Years and a single line in the following years, Scudda Who, Scudda Hey, she was, slowly, getting noticed by the people that mattered. The first of these was 20th Century Fox president Joe Shank, some 50 years her senior. And Joe Shank fell head over heels, madly, mm. in love with Marilyn. Mm. Now, I don't think he wanted to or could indulge in sex with her at all. Mm. But he would invite her to come to his apartment or his house every night for dinner. And then she would sit opposite him before a big roaring fire. And he would just enjoy looking at her. And sometimes he would uh, keep her there until one or two in the morning. He made contacts for her. He tried to help her. He was fond of her. But it wasn't enough to get her to the next level of movie stardom. That came from a man named Johnny Hyde. Johnny Hyde was vice president of the William Morris Talent Agency. They represented all of the biggest names in the industry. And as such, Johnny was one of the most important and influential men in Hollywood. When he saw Marilyn, he immediately became obsessed with her. In a professional sense, because he could see the star quality in the young actress that few others at that time could. But also on a personal level. Johnny Hyde was uh, with the William Morris Agency, which is the top talent agency in Hollywood, and he literally met her and fell in love with her. So he was there fighting for her very, very hard to get roles in film and really, really working on the sideline to help her with her career. Marilyn became Hyde's protege, and also, despite their 31-year age gap and the fact that he was married, his lover. Johnny Hyde literally fell completely in love with her, and he would do anything for her. He truly became obsessed with her. She became the obsession of his life. He left his wife and children to devote himself exclusively to her. Obsessed he might have been, but Johnny was as good as his word when it came to helping her career. And unlike those other executives, he genuinely believed in Marilyn's ability to become a Hollywood star. I always say that if Marilyn had not met Johnny Hyde, her career probably wouldn't have been what it was. He would call producers and say, I've got a girl I want you to see. She's phenomenal. She's the next big star. And they would say, who, who, who is it? And he would say, Marilyn Monroe. And they would say, oh, we know her. We saw that blonde already. Johnny Hyde would say, see her again. Take another look. In May 1949, with film roles still proving elusive, Marilyn took on another job, something Johnny Hyde hadn't swung for her. Here she is later, talking about what would become the most famous nude photo shoot in history. Tom Kelly had asked me, I had done some beer ads for beer for him, and he had asked me to pose nude. So I always went around saying never. And then I got so far behind the rent, Four weeks and I, I was in debt and everything. So I called up and I said, are you sure they won't recognize? He said, I promise. I said, well, if it's at night and you don't have any helpers to put the lights. So we did it. That's all, he just uh, spread out some red velvet and had me 
lie down on the red velvet. I thought you know they put some kind of lotion on you or something. Nothing, just you know. It was very simple and drafty. <laughs> Was this just another example of men exploiting Marilyn for their own interests? Or was it Marilyn playing them at their own game? Either way, within a year of that nude photo shoot, Marilyn was to finally get her big break. Thanks in no small part to the persistence of Johnny Hyde. He got her two very, very important roles in 1950 that changed the course of her career. One was all about Eve, which was an all-star cast you know, with Betty Davis and Celeste Holm and Ann Baxter. She didn't have a big part, but she had a showy part and a crucial part. And it would stand out. She was terrific in it. And then he got her another part in a movie called The Asphalt Jungle, which was another big hit of 1950. Again, a small part. She played the mistress of a big-time gangster. And she only had a few scenes, but when people walked out of the theater, they walked out saying, who was that blonde? In 1951, All About Eve received a record 14 Academy Award nominations. It won six, including Best Picture, and The Asphalt Jungle also bagged four Academy Award nominations. And suddenly, Marilyn was in the two most talked about movies of the year. Here's president of the Marilyn Monroe fan club, Greg Schreiner. And there were so many studios and so many movies being made. And Marilyn was incredibly beautiful. So that already was a foot in the door. And then as she started being noticed by fans and started getting more and more fan mail, the studios really took notice of that and started giving her bigger and bigger pictures. And I think that, yes, of course, it's always hard to become a movie star. And there were thousands and thousands of women who tried to do the same thing Marilyn did, and they did succeed. But somehow Marilyn had a certain flesh impact on the screen that they didn't have. And she got noticed, and they didn't. And because of that, she became the star she is. And this is where we see Marilyn's career start to take off. These roles really secure her place in Hollywood. He also gets her a seven-year contract at 20th Century Fox. So she's guaranteed some sort of income for the next seven years. Tragically, however, in December 1950, just a few days after she signed the contract, Johnny died of a heart attack. Marilyn was devastated. Johnny Hyde would have protected her and her career and steered it in different directions, but he died. He was a sick man when they met. He had a heart ailment. So right at this crucial point, he died. But he had done enough for her that she was already now becoming talked about in Hollywood. Finally, the studios had caught on to what Johnny Hyde had known from the moment he saw Marilyn and what theater audiences had also seen, however fleetingly, on screen. Once she got the attention in those two films, all about Eve and the Asphalt Jungle, they started putting her in small roles just to see. But it was always her in those small roles that the audiences were relating to. So even though she was maybe the fifth or sixth lead, the poster for the movie would have her on it, prominently featured. So they realized, you know, now it was time. They had to really start giving her substantial roles. When people went into the theaters, they wanted to see her. 
after that, she never turned back. Every role after that was a major role for her in film. And one of the unique things about Marilyn and her image is the fact that she was not only attractive to men who would view her movies and found her, you know, sexually appealing, but also to women as well. Because in Marilyn's films, although though she was kind of the ditzy blonde as a character, she would always end up winning. She would always end up either winning the man's heart, winning the prize, winning whatever it was. She always came across successfully. She was so sparkling on screen. She was not only beautiful, she was just a fascinating character. She seemed to have this vulnerability. Marilyn Monroe may have left Norma Jean behind, changing her hair, her image, even her name, in her pursuit of her dream of making it in Hollywood. But the effect her lonely upbringing as an abused and unwanted foster child had on her was harder to shake off. It gave her an irresistible emotional vulnerability on screen, but it also left her mentally fragile and unprepared to cope with the unprecedented level of fame she was about to experience. In the next episode of The Killing of Marilyn Monroe, Worldwide Fame. She always wanted to be famous, but she was experiencing the kind of fame that even she couldn't have expected. I mean, I don't think anyone at this point in time had ever been as famous as Marilyn Monroe was. She was just everywhere, and she became like a catchphrase. Like, if a woman was walking down the street and she was haughty or something, the guys would yell out, Who do you think you are, Marilyn Monroe? I mean, that's how famous she was. She was the standard to be judged by. And with it, the attention of America's most powerful men. To be seen as arm candy with Marilyn Monroe was one of the highest status symbols a man could possibly have at the time. And Marilyn was thrilling. She was charismatic. People would meet her once when she was being extroverted and the glamorous, beautiful, platinum blonde that she was and never, ever forget it. She was a fabulous status symbol to be seen with. A great conversation to be The Killing of Marilyn Monroe is hosted by me, Jackie Moran, executive produced by Dylan Howard, and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Carrie Budge and written by Dominic Utten, reporting by Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada, scoring by Benstown. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe wherever you get podcasts. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.